our house right now. Uh, our oldest is Owen, who's seven, and then Ellie is five, and uh, Annabelle is three. Cooper is one and a half, and then Caden, our little foster baby, is uh, a year old. And so it's pretty crazy. Um, believe it or not, every once in a while, with that many kids, uh, you might lose one, um, just hypothetically, right? Uh, and I wouldn't say lose is so much as like misplace for a little bit. Um, and so occasionally that might happen in the chaos of all the kids playing together. And, uh, and usually, at, th- at this point in life at least, it's, it's Cooper is the one that runs off uh, the one and a half year old. So he, he usually is the one that like sneaks out. Um, we have like this a front room, if you've been in our house, there's like a door that you can close and then we have like a baby gate that you can close. So we like keep them quarantined in that one room. Um, and it's like the second that one of those doors are open, it's like Cooper has a sixth sense and he's like there and then he, he like breaks free, right? Um, so that happened the other night and it's happened multiple times before uh, where he just like runs off for a second, I'm doing something else and usually I mean it's cool, they play in the living room. Well the two other kids... Uh, the two oldest were going upstairs to get something. I think they were helping me get trash. And, uh, and they come running down a few minutes later, and they're like, Dad, Cooper's locked in the bathroom. And I was like, what? And I was like, you just open it and let him out. And they're like, no, it's like locked, lock. He's locked in the bathroom. And I was like, what? He's locked in the bathroom? They're like, yeah, come see. And uh, so I went upstairs, and sure enough, he had figured out somehow how to lock it. Uh, and so then I had to like, go back downstairs, find a, uh, a nail that I could poke through and, and unlock it. Uh, but he's, like, banging on the door, like, trying to get out. Um, and, uh, and, and he probably felt, and he's done this before where even, in, even downstairs, even if he doesn't, like, lock it, lock it, um, he's, on, he's at the age where he can close doors, but he can't, he can't twist the knob and open them yet. So he'll, like, go in a room and then they'll shut the door, and then you hear this, like, faint cry across the house. Uh, and usually it's Cooper uh, trying to get out. And uh, I would imagine he feels uh, pretty trapped uh, in there, like, and wondering, like, well, what's going to happen? Like, somebody's going to hopefully come get me, you know? Um, and like I said, usually there's tears that go along with that, and there's a lot of frustration. Um, I th- just thought about that as I was thinking about what, what I'm talking about tonight. Uh, it, it, we're, we're talking about the life of Moses, a big part of his life. Um, as we, again, are working our way through Scripture, if you've been with us, we started at the very beginning uh, in Genesis all of last sem- this semester, we made it through Genesis, okay? We made it through the first book. That's awesome. Uh, and so now we're starting in Exodus. Uh, so we only have 65 more to cover, you know? Uh, it'll, it'll, the pace will move a little bit faster, I think, through books. But, uh, so the last person we talked about was Joseph. And uh, Joseph was in Egypt, and he was a slave and all these sorts of things. And then he, got, he like, rose in power because of God's favor and uh, at the end of Joseph's life, what we read, at the end of Genesis, um, Joseph saves the lives of his brothers. Um, he's one of 12 kids, and he saves the lives of them uh, and their whole family uh, because of the position that God has put, them in, put him in. Uh, and so his family's okay. They move to Egypt. They have the food that they need, uh, and that's kind of where we left things uh, at the end of it. And so... Between 
the last page of Genesis in your Bible and the first page in Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus 1. Um, there's 400 years that passes between those two pages. Uh, 400 years have happened between the death of Joseph uh, and that kind of generation. There's been 400 years, and then we pick up in Exodus. Um, and, and the people of Israel, so the God's chosen people, really at that time was Joseph and his brothers, which become 12 tribes of Israel, um, named after each one of the brothers. And so the people of Israel, this is where we're, where, where we're picking up. They're in Egypt. If you uh, look at um, Exodus 1 and starting in verse 7, or ver- verse 6. Then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation. This is a really good way to start. Um, everybody's dead. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. So that 400-year time period, the people of Israel grow a ton by multiplying. You know what multiplying means? Hmm? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what multiplying means until we have five kids. Uh, so they multiply over that 400-year time period, uh, and they, they become, it says the land was filled with them. And, and then it says there's a, a king, a new king that arose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. This is verse 8. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Are too many and too mighty for us. Uh, come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if, we, if war breaks out, they would join our enemies and fight against us and escape, escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters task over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built Pharaoh, store cities, um, let's skip down, 12, but they were more oppressed, uh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And so then in verse 14 it says, they made their lives bitter with hard service um, and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So, the people of Israel grow over this 400-year time period at the end of Joseph's life to now. And they're this huge nation now, like literally hundreds of thousands of them. And the people in Egypt realize, like, they're starting to outnumber us. And if somebody else came to war against us, they might join sides with them and they could take us out. And so they decided they were just going to make slaves of this, this large group of people, the nation of Israel. So they're going to make them into slaves. Um, they made them work hard. Uh, and, and put them in slavery and ruled over them. Uh, and, and you can imagine that's not like a fun life to live, you know. Uh, and so this is kind of a, a summary of where they're at and what they were thinking and probably what, like, you know, Cooper is thinking when he's locked in my room, one of our rooms. Uh, this is Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Exodus two twenty-three through 25. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for for rescue from slavery came up to God. So finally, it's like, they've been worked so hard, they've been slaves for so long, um, and it's getting harder and harder and harder and harder, that the, the people of Israel finally cry out. And again, they know because they've been told by their parents who were told, by their parents and their parents and their parents, that they were God's chosen people, right? So they know this God that they serve. They sacrifice things. Um, they do all these things and follow his laws. 
and they know this God that, that their parents talked about probably and their parents before them, and finally they cry out to him. They cry out for help. They cry for rescue from slavery. And it says their cry came up to God. In verse 24 it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, the covenant we've been talking about this whole time as we work our way through Scripture here. And it said, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And, and, and this will, these three words really stuck out to me. This is, as I was reading this, as I was studying this, it, it said that God heard their groaning, God saw the people of Israel, God knew. God heard, God saw, God knew. Uh, and that comes back into play as we go into the, this next part. So the people of Israel, life is not fun, you know? Life is frustrating. Uh, they're trapped. They feel trapped. I don't know if you've ever felt trapped. Um, just felt like, I don't know how things are going to change. To the point where you, like, cry out to God or you, like, make bargains with God, you know? I feel like that's where they're, where they're at. And then there's this guy, Moses. Uh, most of you have probably heard about Moses in the burning bush. Like, that's a really popular story, right? So... Um, this is where, where we get into the life of Moses here, and I'm going to skip down to verse 6, or, uh, sorry, verse, verse 4, um, it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see the burning bush, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he, he said, here I am, then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you, you're standing is holy ground, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So there's this bush that's on fire, right? But the, the surprising thing is like it's on fire and it's not burning out at all. It just stays on fire. And so that's what catches Moses' attention and he walks over to it and decides to go look at it. And when he does, the voice of God starts speaking to him. That's freaking crazy, y'all. Like, can you imagine, like, you just walk up to something? One, you see, like, this bush that's, like, constantly burning, and then you go over to it, and then God speaks to you. Like, it's just nuts. I know we've heard that story before, but, like, that's just super crazy. I can't imagine what Moses was, was thinking at that point. It, like, his name's being called from this burning bush, and he says, uh, here, here I am. Uh, and then God just tells him who he is. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then it says, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. If you, like a little side note, if you look at any person's reaction to God or to an angel of God appearing to them, the reaction's always the same. They're, they're afraid. Uh, and, and they have fear and they can't like look at it and they look away. Um, and, and so it's this fear of, and this awe of God, this respect, this fear, because God is huge and can de could destroy him if he wanted to. It's uh, huge and perfect and all these things. So he's, he's afraid to look at God. And then, the Lord, and then the Lord says this. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So this is verses, verse 7. He said, I have surely seen, I have heard, and I know. This is the second time that he said that. He said at the end of chapter 2 and he says it here again in, in verse 7. And the other important thing to note, like the, this, this conversation that God is having with Moses, again, crazy. God's having a conversation with this man. 
These are the first words from God that, the, that anybody in the people of Israel had heard for 400 years. So in that 400-year time period, there's just silence from God. This God that they had heard about, this God that their fathers and their fathers before them had followed, they heard nothing from him for 400 years. So I want you to get a picture of like where these people are at and why they're frustrated. And even though they do trust in God, they're frustrated because they haven't heard anything from him. They're in slavery and they're, they're frustrated, they're in pain, uh, and they cry out. And this is the first time God speaks in 400 years and he speaks to Moses and he says these things. And he says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. He's seen, he's heard, he knows. The people of Israel are being afflicted. They feel frustrated. They wonder where God is. Probably They probably wonder if he cares. They probably wonder if he's good. And they cry out to him. And the silence is broken. First, it's just to Moses. Obviously, the people of Israel aren't hearing this right now. Uh, and he speaks to Moses through this burning bush. He sees, he hears, he knows. And I think he's telling Moses, who will then tell this to the people, um, when he says he sees the affliction of his people, that he's not blind to their pain. I'm sure that's one of the things that they're believing, one of the lies that they're believing, like God doesn't even care about us. We're supposed to be like his chosen people, and we're here in slavery. He hears their cry. He's not ignoring them. He's actually listening to them. He knows their suffering. He knows their sorrow. He knows how they're feeling. He knows them. They are his people. He says that too. I've certainly seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. So as we look in the life of Moses here and keep moving through scripture, what I want you to see tonight more than anything else is those three things. This God that we serve, this God that we're here talking about every week. He's the God who sees, he's the God who hears, he's the God who knows. He's the God who sees, who hears, who knows. And he's trying to reassure his people that, that he's there and he does care about them. And he goes even one step further than that. So he does, it's one thing to know that God is there. It's one, another thing to know that he cares about you, that he hears you. That's awesome. But that still doesn't fix my problem, right? The very next verse in verse 8, the next words out of God's mouth, he, he sees, he hears, he knows them. And then he says this, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. So not only is he a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who knows, but he's a God who delivers. He said, I've come down to deliver. He is the God who takes action. And he has the power to deliver, the power to save, the power to rescue his people. So these are huge things about God. Huge truths that will literally, if you believe this about him, it would genuinely change your life. That if you really believe that the God that I talk about up here, the God that, that hopefully you know, if you believe that he sees you, you personally, that he sees you, Blake, that he knows you, that he hears anything that you're frustrated with, if you believe that, that he, he sees you and that he is not only a God who sees and who cares and who's in control, but he's gonna act. Like, if you cry out to him, he will act. 
He's a God of action. He's not one who just sits back and just watches, and that's what some people believe, that God created things, and then he just made all this stuff, and now he just sits back and watches things happen. He's a God who acts, who does something. Exodus 3, 10 through 11, it goes on to say, uh, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God says, I'm going to send you and I'm going to use you, and you're going to be the one to help deliver these people. And Moses says, Who am I? Who am I to do that? He feels really insecure. And he doubts God's plan. But God reassures Moses that he will be with him and that God's power is sufficient for him. And he tells Moses to tell the people, because Moses says, who, who should I tell them sent me? You know, like, what am I supposed to tell them? And in this verse, Exodus three fourteen, God says to Moses, I am, you can tell them this, is because he says, what if they ask me what his name is? Who should, what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this is the people of, so say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So that sounds kind of weird, I think, at first, when he says, like, if you're going to tell these people about me, out of all the things that God could have used to describe himself, he said to tell them, I am, had, 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 sent, had sent Moses. Why does, he, why does he use that? What is he trying to express? A couple of things, I think. I think he's trying to express to them that he is the God who had been uh, who always will be the same God that came through for their fathers and their fathers before them and the fathers before them that worshiped him. He's that same God. Um, when he says, I am, it's, it's showing like that he's self-existent. Nobody created him. He is, like all he says is I am. That's how he describes himself. That nobody else created him, that he is self-existent, that he is eternal, that he is unchangeable, that no name no one characteristic could accurately describe him. Like he's essentially saying he's everything. And, and especially like when you, when you contrast that to what Moses' response was. Moses says, who am I? You see his inadequacy in that. And God says, I am. And he's showing how adequate he is. He said, tell them I am sent you. And so the whole point of going through all of Scripture beginning to end, the Old Testament even, I wanted to show you throughout a couple of semesters that if you look in all of Scripture, everything points to Jesus. Everything. Everything points to God's plan after everything was screwed up in the garden and sin entered into the world. God's, plan, God's rescue plan from the very beginning, before, even that, that, before that even happened, was Jesus. Jesus was the, was the plan. It's not like he had to have a plan B and he had to scramble because things didn't go the way he thought it was going to go. God always knows what's going on and he always had this plan of Jesus. And so throughout all of scripture there is this thread of Jesus, the thread of the gospel. And here's another very clear one where Moses is the deliverer of his people, right? So God uses Moses. Moses goes to the people uh, and most of you are probably familiar with that story. He goes to Egypt and he 
is in charge. He, like, he, he gets to do all these magic tricks with his staff where it turns into a snake. Uh, and all these plagues come. And he parts the Red Sea. So Moses is the deliverer of his people where finally they get freed from slavery in Egypt. And he delivers them. The last step being parting the Red Sea. They all walk through together. And then as, ever, as Pharaoh and his people and the Egyptians are chasing them, everything crashes over top of them and destroys them. And so he frees his people, right? He's the deliverer of his people. And whereas Moses is the deliverer of these people, the people of Israel sent by God, what that is pointing us to, what Moses is pointing us to, who Moses is pointing to us to is Jesus. That he is the ultimate deliverer of all people. Just like Moses delivered the people from pain, from frustration, from anger, from, God, what are you doing? From slavery. Jesus delivers us from pain, from anger, from frustration, from slavery to sin. And he is the ultimate deliverer of all of us. And this is what, that's the whole point of the story of Moses. To point to an ultimate deliverer that's going to come, that's going to take care of everything. As Moses represents God's faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham, Jesus represents God's faithfulness to instituting a, a new covenant that he talks about. Uh, real quick, I'm going to turn to John chapter 8. Uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of people. Uh, and it, it's some of these leaders that are frustrated with him. Uh, Jesus is saying lots of stuff now. Lots of things about him kind of equating himself to God that's frustrating these, these guys, these religious leaders. Uh, and so in John 8, 48, we'll pick up there. He's in a conversation with them already. So this is kind of mid-conversation with a group of these people. Uh, and it says, the Jews answered him. It says, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they asked Jesus if he has like a demon, like he's possessed by a demon. He's saying some things that they're not too happy about. And so they ask him if he has a demon. And he said, Jesus answers, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Uh, and then the Jews said to that, now we know you have a demon. Uh, Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets? And then they ask him this question, who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? Who are you saying you are? And he says a few things, but then his ultimate answer is in 58. John 8, 58 says this. This is his response when they say, Who do you make yourself out to be? Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So to us, uh, maybe, maybe to you, that's just like a little statement. So he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what their reaction is in 59? It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Cool side note there, right? There's some of these little things in Scripture that I think are so awesome. Uh, one of them is this. He says, so they, so they, he says this, right? He says this phrase, I am. Like we just read in Exodus 14 when God introduced himself to Moses. So he's basically saying, I am God. He's not, he is saying that. He's not basically saying that. He's saying, I am God. 
And so they pick up stones because they're like, that's crazy to kill him. And what does it say? It says they picked up stones to throw at him, and it says, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. How did Jesus hide himself? I think, does he have like a, you know, like invisibility cloak or something? I don't know. But they were right there in front of him. He was right in front of them. All of a sudden, he hides himself. That's sweet. Like, I don't think he just like hid behind a rock or anything like that, you know? He like hid himself, so like, you're not going to throw stones at me? I'm out of here. And they couldn't find him. I don't know. Just side note, maybe it's not as cool to you as it is to me, but I think it's super cool that Jesus is just like, oh, I'm just going to hide. Uh, and then he leaves and gets out of there. But back to the point of they're trying to kill him when he says this, because what he's saying is what we just read in, in Exodus. He is saying he is God. Again, Jesus himself is saying that he is God. He is the ultimate deliverer. Like Moses delivering his people, Jesus is, he came to, to deliver all of us from the, from the penalty of sin, from the slavery to sin. So what's, what's that matter to you? Why does this matter? I always want to end with that. So hopefully you see the connection between Moses and Jesus, but why does that matter to you? These big truths, these four things, God sees you. God sees you. He sees everything. So he's always watching, like he's always there with you. He sees you. He sees the pain you're in when nobody else sees it. You know, when you come here or you come to school and you hide all that pain and you just like put on a fake smile. Those of you who are really struggling with pain that you don't tell anybody about, he sees that. He sees you fully for who you are. He sees your pain. He sees you when, when, you, when you, if you're the person who feels invisible around everybody else. You feel like nobody actually pays attention to you. You feel like you're different than everybody. You feel invisible. Even when you're in big groups of people, he sees you. He sees the real you, not the image that you're just trying to portray to other people. He sees you. He is the God who sees. He sees every single one of you. So he's the God who sees you, who sees everything about you. He's the God who hears you. He didn't just hear the people of Israel back in the Old Testament, way before any of us were even a thought. He hears you now. Whatever pain that you're in, whatever thing that you're struggling through right now, the, the things that you've thought about or cried out about, whether that's out loud or just in your head that you're crying out about, he hears that. Those of you crying out about death in your family, he hears that. Those of you crying out about parents being split up and the fighting that you have to deal with, he hears that. He hears all of that. He hears your frustration. He hears your confusion. He hears your fears, all the things that you're afraid of. He hears your complaints. 
He hears all of it. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't feel like he's seeing you, even when you don't feel like he's hearing you, he does. To the people that cry out to him, he hears them. He hears all of you. He's a God who sees you. He's a God who hears you. He's a God who knows you. So he knows all of your circumstances. He knows every circumstance in your life, Jake. Everything. More than anybody else does. He knows everything that's going on in your life today, every piece of it. He knows you better than any of those guys around you know you. He knows everything about you, every part, all the things that are good that everybody knows about, all the things that are horrible that nobody knows about. He knows it all. He knows your circumstances that you're in and he's not surprised, and he's not caught off guard by that. You may be surprised, you may be caught off guard about the circumstances around your life right now, and be like, well, how did we get here? He's never that way. He knows you, he knows what's going on, and he's not shocked by it. He knows what you long for underneath all, of it, all the other stuff, like all the actions that you have, he knows what you really long for. Like he knows what your heart really wants. For those of you like sleeping with a boyfriend or a girlfriend because you just want to be loved and you want to be cared for and you want to be pursued, he knows that about you. He knows that about your heart. He knows what you really need. He knows what's underneath all that pride, all that anger, all that frustration. He knows what's underneath it all. He knows what you need better than anybody else. He knows what lies you hear. He knows the lies that you hear in your head, the things about you not being worth enough or not being as good as this other person or as pretty as this other person or all these lies that you hear that because you've done this, this, and this, that there's no way that he would love you. That's a lie, and he knows that. He knows you better than anyone because he created you. And if he knows you better than anyone because he created you, every part of you, then he knows how to love you better than anybody else ever will. Ever. He knows all the things that you've done and he loves you anyway, perfectly. He knows the plans that he has for you, the plans for your future. He knows the purpose that he has, the, the way that he's designed you, the things that he designed you to do. He knows it all. He knows everything going on in your life right now. He knows everything that's happened in your life and he knows everything that's going to happen in your life. These are huge truths. God sees you. God hears you. Here's your frustration. Justin, here's your frustration of being hurt again. I'm sure that sucks. I'm sure you're frustrated. Why again? Like, this isn't, that's not fair. He hears that. And so many times, like the people of Israel, I think we feel like God has been silent and 
and, and we just want him to act and we want him to do something. And we don't feel like he hears us and we don't feel like he sees us and we don't feel like he really knows us. But what changed everything for these people is that they cried out to him. Eventually they got pushed so hard where they cried out to him and they said, I need help, I need you. And so many of you will, will believe the lie and, and, and choose to run to the temptation that you can handle all this yourself. You don't have to tell anybody, you don't have to, you can handle it. That's crap, you can't handle it. And if you cry out to him, he will always deliver. If you cry out to him and actually seek him, I'm not saying like crying out and just listing a long list of complaints and then stopping there and be like, you better change all this. But if you legitimately cry out to him and run toward him and not away from him, he will deliver always. I've read this whole book, right, front to back. And there's not one story in here of the people of God, a person of God, crying out to him and seeking him and him not delivering. He delivers every single time. Every time in my own life, he has delivered every single time. When I cry out to him and I seek him and I run to him, he delivers all the time. There's a couple of issues that we have, though, a couple of issues that, that the people of Israel had. Usually he doesn't do it in my timing, which I think I have really good timing, so he should like listen to me sometimes, you know? Uh, usually we have to wait longer than we want to wait. Usually it's more painful than we wish it would be. But he always delivers, always. 100% of the time, he delivers. 100% of the time. Not 110% of the time, because that doesn't even exist. That doesn't even, that's not even real. There's only can be 100% of something, all right, people? So don't ever say 110%. I'm going to give him 110%. That's impossible. You can give 100%, and that's awesome, because that's everything. Um, that was free. You didn't even, I'm not even going to charge you for that. Uh, so he's a God who hears you. He's a God who sees you. He's a God who knows you. He's a God who delivers and again, it's not just for those people, it's for you. Whenever we cry out and seek him, he will always show up. Here he shows up for the nation of Israel, freeing them from slavery with plagues and parting of the Red Sea and all that. He will show up in your life and he will deliver you if you cry out to him. I can promise you that. Because God promises that. I'm not saying he's gonna take every situation from you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he's going to deliver you and he's gonna, he has a plan for you and it may not be what you think. Most likely it's not gonna be what you think in a lot of ways, but he will deliver you. He will show up. He will rescue you. He will bring you to a place where your needs are met and you're filled up and you are satisfied and you have purpose and you have power to live this life. The whole point of freeing and rescuing these people of Israel was to take them to the promised land, a land that was way better, a land that had all this stuff that they needed. The whole point of Jesus rescuing, rescuing you is to take you to a promised land that we all get to go to, the new earth, when we get to be with him forever and there will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, no more frustration. Like, 
genuinely that gets me excited every time that I think about that. I cannot wait to not be anxious about things anymore. Do you know how much I hate that feeling? I'm sure you guys feel that, like, especially being back in school, you know, when you feel like you have all these things that have to be done and you're just anxious about them or you're worried about this or you're worried about that. That is like one of the biggest things that I cannot wait for when I get to be with Christ forever is not worrying ever anymore about anything. I said I'm not worrying about anything. I thought that was really clear. Siri's got too much attitude, you know? Uh, but just know, know that. So this is how the people of Israel back in the time with Moses, how that applies to you. The same God that saw them sees you, Megan. The same God that heard them hears you, Elijah. The same God that knows them, knew them, knows you, Austin. Knows everything about you. And the same God that delivered them will deliver you if you cry out to him. So I don't know what your life looks like right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know all the things that could be causing issues in your life. But I know no matter what it is, it doesn't even matter what it is, anything, that the God who sees you, the God who hears you, the God who knows you and knows all of those things is waiting to deliver you if you'll let him. You just got to cry out to him.